you take your Bibles this morning and uh, turn in them with me once again to the book of James. We're back there for at least this Sunday and two more messages, uh, I believe. And uh, this morning's message is a very important message, a very practical message. This book of James was written to early believers and really written to all of us about maturing in our walk with the Lord Jesus. Uh, one of the most practical books found in the Word of God. And our verses before us this morning uh, will also be very, very practical. In fact, it's interesting to me, uh, James is getting to the end of his letter. He's got two more primary subjects he's going to deal with. Uh, we'll see those in the next couple of weeks. But it's almost like he had a lot of little things he wanted to say or things that he wanted to remind these believers of. And he kind of throws them together in one uh, PS, if you would, towards the end of this letter, and he gives us what we're going to take a look at this morning. And uh, these words are both challenging, uh, but I think also at the same time encouraging to us. And uh, if we had to entitle this message today or give it a title, I would simply call it Practical Commands for Godly Living. Practical Commands for Godly Living. And I'll show you what I'm talking about in just a moment. Our text is James 5. Verses 7 to 12, if you will do as we often do, if you'll stand in honor of God's Word, let me read our text out loud uh, for us, and you follow along there in your copy of the Bible. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord was full of compassion and is merciful. Above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Father, thank you for these words today, and I pray that as we have read them today that you'll bless the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these words and help us both to understand them and to apply them to our hearts and our lives. Help us not to be just hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of the word as we have been instructed earlier in this study. Lord, we trust you. We trust you to speak. And then we trust you to empower our hearts and our wills to both to receive them and apply them to our hearts and our lives. And for these things, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Practical commands for godly living. As you read through these verses that we just read, six verses in length, I think you find four imperative commands that we must obey. Two of these commands are given to us in the positive. Two of these commands are given to us in the negative. All four of these commands relate to how we relate to God and how we are to relate to one another. All four of these commands 
have to do with our maturing, our walking out daily, our Christian faith, and what we must do in our hearts and our lives if we're going to mature on a day-by-day basis. And I want us to take a look at each of these commands and trust the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts in a very special way. Practical commands for godly living. Command number one, very simple, be patient. Be patient. Now, if you don't have any need for patience, you may leave right now. If you get up and leave, we will call you down and call you, well, you know what I'll call you if you do it, because we all have need of patience, don't we? Be patient. In fact, it's interesting to me that uh, this is one of the topics that James deals with more than once in this little short letter. The very beginning of these words, as he was talking about trials coming our way, he reminded us to be patient. And the reason for it is that God is using even the difficulties of life, our trials, our tribulations, our troubles, our testing, our temptations to grow us and to mature us in our faith. So we have to be patient with God. And that patience also requires that we learn to be patient with others. We'll see that in just a second. And the reason that James deals with it, not only at the beginning of this letter here, he deals with it a number of times The reason's obvious. We all have need of patience. None of us can say we are a patient person. We may say that we're growing in patience, but we all have need of patience. There's just something about human flesh that gets impatient with God, gets impatient with other people, and even gets impatient with ourselves. Please note in these verses that we just read, James tells us and gives us this command to be patient twice in verse 7 and in verse 8. And as you read through the Bible, there are numerous verses that deals with the believer being patient. In fact, when you come to those verses in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 22, that give us the fruit of the Spirit, uh, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, and what's the fourth one? Patience. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. And if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to become a patient man, a patient woman. If you get impatient, it only indicates you're not walking in the Spirit. The truth of the matter is only the Spirit of God can produce patience in our hearts and in our lives. But James reminds us in these commands that it's necessary if we're going to mature, if we're going to grow, that we are patient. We must be patient. Now, it seems to me that we could and we should apply this command to be patient in at least three ways. First of all, this morning, we must be patient towards each other. We must be patient towards other people. Now, I realize that's a difficult thing to do if you're on Interstate 85 headed to work, you're 15 minutes late and it's backed up from here to Atlanta. Be patient with people. That's God's command to all of us. Uh, It's interesting how we think sometimes wrongly. Uh, We get impatient because we think people ought to be growing faster in their walk with the Lord than maybe they actually are. We think that they should be further along in their walk with God. Or maybe they ought to understand things like we understand them spiritually. And we get frustrated when they do not or when somebody does not meet our expectations of what we think they ought to be doing or how they ought to understand something. Uh, We get very impatient with them. So James writes to remind us, be patient in the first application. Be, Be patient with people. 
I remember many years ago attending a conference, a very lengthy conference at the end of the, uh, the w- almost week of studies uh, for a graduation present. We were given a badge, a lapel pin that simply had a, a bunch of letters on it. Maybe you've seen it, and if you have, you probably know what conference I'm talking about. But on this lapel pin, the following letters were found. P-B-P-W-M-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. Now, you were to wear that and people were to see it and they obviously it doesn't say anything, doesn't spell out anything. They were going to say, what does that mean? Or why are you wearing that badge? And when they asked, you were to tell them what it meant. And it meant the following, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Do you realize that's true of every one of us? We're all in the process of becoming, aren't we? We're all at different levels of our spiritual walk. We're all at different levels of understanding life and living life. And it behooves us greatly to be patient towards people. People are not perfect and people will not always meet your expectation. And if you're growing in grace as God expects you to be growing, you will learn to be patient with other people. But it also means not only that we're patient towards other people, we have to be patient with ourselves. Patient with ourselves. How easy it is to look at our lives and see how little progress we seem to be making along the way. I mean, we can easily get impatient with ourselves. And when we get impatient with ourselves, we become discouraged. And when we become discouraged along the way, the enemy is, can come and very easily get in our hearts and our lives and bring us to the point of despair spiritually. And he loves to, to rub our impatience in our face many times. We need to learn to be patient with ourselves. I remember hearing Dr. Vance Havner, and I've, I've shared his name often with you. I've told you, Dr. Havner, if I, had to, if I had to speak of one person who had the greatest impact in my life as a Christian, it's been Dr. Havner. Primarily, it was through his writings, even though I had the privilege of meeting with him on a couple of times and spending some time hearing him speak many, many years ago when he was living. But Dr. Havner made a profound impact in my life. And if I had to de- describe or define a spiritual giant, at least the way I see them. Dr. Vance Havner would be probably the first person on my list. And I never will forget one time hearing him preach a message. He's well into his 70s at this point of his life. On down the road, he's, he's nearing going to glory. And I remember hearing my spiritual hero, this spiritual giant of a man say these words. Considering how long I've been living the Christian life, I'm amazed at how sorry of a job I do sometimes. He was discouraged. He was disappointed. He was impatient even with himself. I remember hearing something many years ago. I don't know where it came from. It stuck with me. It kind of helped me uh, grasp this thing about being patient with myself. Uh, The person wrote and they said this, when God wants to make a squash, he takes 60 days. When he wants to make a grand and glorious oak tree, He takes a hundred years. And folks, let me just say something to you this morning. If you're walking with God, if you're trying to walk with God, God's in the process of making a grand and glorious oak tree out of you. It's not going to happen overnight. We're all made of flesh. 
We all have sin we have to deal with. We all have struggles. We've got, don't, don't let the enemy discourage you. Keep faithful. Keep pressing on. Keep trusting God. Be patient not only with other people, but learn to be patient with yourself. And then thirdly, I would say about this command to be patient, we must be patient with others, with ourselves, but we also have to be patient with God. Be patient with God. And James has already made reference to that a couple of times in these verses. How the enemy wants to make us impatient with God, especially when we're going through a trial. But we must be patient with God for he is doing his work in us even through difficulties in life. He's trying to grow us up. Again, it's not going to happen overnight. So be patient with God, James refers to that here in our verses before us. And he tells us here in one particular way, be patient with God even concerning the second coming. Have you ever faced a difficulty in life? And maybe you might have said it out loud. You thought to yourself, well, I tell you what, I wish Jesus would just come back and take me out of this mess. Be patient. Hey, he'll come when it's time for him to come. Don't get impatient in the waiting. Wait on him. God has a purpose for what you're going through. God has a design in what he's doing. Don't get impatient with God. When he's through teaching you what he wants to teach you, he'll remove the circumstances. He'll change the situation. Be patient with God. Peter reminded us this once. And again, in regards to this matter of the coming of the Lord, 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4 and 8 to 9. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And then he writes, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count uh, slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Be patient with God. And then James does something real interesting in these verses. In fact, it seems to me that he spends the most time on this one command. He takes the command and now he applies it in three different ways. He brings three illustrations to us to remind us about our need to be patient. He talks about the farmer, he talks about uh, the prophets, and he talks about Job. He talks about the farmer in verse 7. Let me tell you this morning, if a man is impatient, he better not become a farmer, Hattie. I remember when Rob and I, well, well, actually, I moved to South Georgia before we got married. We got married six months after I moved to uh, South Georgia. But here's two city kids moving to South Georgia to a farm community, to Dawson, Georgia, the peanut capital of the world. I didn't know how to plant a seed. And here we go down living in the farm community, and there's a lot of things it taught me about life and living. But let me tell you something I learned real quickly about a farmer. You better not be a farmer if you're impatient. I mean, you put those seeds in the ground, that's about the only thing you have any control over when you do that. But once you put that seed in the ground, you don't have any control over the weather. You don't have any control over the weeds. You don't have any control over how much fruit that seed is going to produce. All of it, you put in the ground and you wait for God to do his work through the laws of nature. You have to be a patient person if you're going to be a farmer. 
his trust, the farmer's trust, is totally in God providing for all his need. So be patient, just like that farmer. He's saying to us, James is telling us. And then he says, be patient like the prophets. Verse 10, he reminds us of this. James illustrates patience by reminding us, look at those prophets. Many of them, if not all of them, in some way being in the will of God, they suffered greatly. They went about preaching in the name of the Lord. They were serving the kingdom of God. Yet many of them were greatly persecuted. Some were even killed, all because they were obedient to what God wanted them to do. Hey, listen to me this morning. We never, never, never need to think that all obedience to God automatically produces ease and pleasure. Our Lord Jesus was obedient, and it led him to the cross. Be patient with God. God is working in your life, just like he was working in the lives of those prophets, just like he works in the life of a farmer. And then he, he brings another illustration to us. If that doesn't get your attention, verse 11 certainly does. He reminds us of Job. Be patient like Job, because God was working in Job's life. Well, that, I don't know that that gives me a whole lot of comfort. What about you? Let me ask you something this morning. How many of you could say, and I want a response, if you can respond to this. How many of you would say this morning, my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Job. Can I see your hand? I didn't think so. Nobody voted for it in the early service either. Why? Because nobody wants to be Job. I mean, he went through it, didn't he? 42 chapters. Most depressing book you'll ever read. By the way, God's got a reason for it being there. A lot of truth in Job. 41 chapters, Job's in trouble. God came to Satan. Now listen to me. God came to Satan. And he said, consider my servant Job. Satan was saying, hey, everybody follow you, God, if you bless them like you do. And God said to Satan, you, let's take a look at Job. Job is a man of God. He'll follow me regardless. So God gave Satan permission to take everything away from Job except his life. He told Job, he told Satan, Satan, you can have Job. You do what you want to to him, just don't kill him. So the, the book of Job for almost the entire book is about what happened to Job when God allowed the enemy to come to attack him. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And you would think that would be enough to despair. But that didn't stop Job. Job later declared, though he killed me, I will keep trusting God. That's what it means to be patient when we're going through tough times. Trusting God that regardless of what you can see, feel, understand, sense in your heart, uh, you, you're trusting that God's working his divine purposes out, that God has a, a, a purpose in it greater than you can ever understand. And it's an act of trust in God. And then you come to the end of Job 42. Some of the most amazing verses in the Bible to me are found in Job 42. After he went through all that he went through, verse 10 of chapter 42 says, The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased, increased, increased all that Job had to fold 
God blessed him twice as much walking through what he'd walked through than he, he would have blessed him if he hadn't walked through it. Verse 12 goes on to say, The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Verse 17 ends by saying, And Job died an old man full of days. Hallelujah. God's working regardless of what we think, what we can see, how we can reason with our own mind and our hearts. But it requires us to be patient, to trust God regardless. And that's why James writes these words to us here. When it comes to maturing in our walk with God, be patient, not only with people and with yourself, but most importantly, learn to be patient with God. If we're ever to mature in our walk with God, we have to learn patience, this quality of patience. In fact, consider this, patience is an expression of my trust in God that says to God that I trust him in whatever circumstances and situations he may allow to come my way. It, it recognizes the fact that God is in control and that he is maturing me through the circumstances he allows to come my way. And if you and I are to mature and grow in our walk with God, then we have to heed this command. Be patient. That's why it's important. And that's why James deals with it more than once in this letter. Well, that's the first command this morning. By the way, I meant to tell y'all at the very beginning, I told the early service this, y'all do realize I've not preached in three weeks. Y'all comfortable? <laughs> Amen or oh me? You don't, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to re respond to that one. Command number one, be patient. Command number two, strengthen your heart. Strengthen your heart. Look at verse eight. You too be patient. Second time he says it. And then he says, strengthen your heart for the coming of the Lord is near. Uh, I believe the King James Version says, stand firm there instead of strengthen your heart. But the literal translation in the Greek should read, strengthen your heart as it is put here in the New American Standard. The meaning of this command uh, what James is saying is in the midst of our being patient in the circumstances and situations of life, as we are trusting in God to work even in the middle of our trials and affliction, our hearts can and will be strengthened through godly patience. And folks, when we're going through trying times that requires patience, it is only patience in God that will lead to a strengthened heart. If we fail to be patient during the trial, our hearts will fail us and not strengthen us. Now let me point out something to you here, the way this, this command is constructed. And I think this is an, extremely important. Listen to me carefully. This command is, uh, th this word strengthen your heart, that phrase, is both a command to obey and a choice to make. Now let me say that again. It is both a command to obey and a choice to make. In other words, we must choose to strengthen our hearts in situations that require us to be patient. Now, let me tell you what I've observed over the years. Uh, unfortunately, I've seen it in my own life at times, but I, I've really seen it in counseling people and watching church members 
over these years. Uh, do you know that some people like their misery? Did you know that? Some people like to wallow in their troubles. Some people don't want their hearts to be strengthened. They'd rather hang on to their misery and make everybody else miserable in the process. Some people had rather complain and bellyache and gripe about their trouble instead of trusting God to strengthen their hearts in the midst of their trouble. So James commands us, be patient, and in the midst of being patient, trusting God, strengthen your heart. It's a command to obey and a choice that has to be made. Hey, if you don't want to strengthen your heart, you won't do it. You'll wallow in your misery. A lot of people choose to do that. A lot of people want that. Hey, but let me tell you what, by God's grace, we can choose to strengthen our heart. And when we choose to strengthen our heart, God can work in our lives to do exactly that. Give us strength even in the midst of the trial and the tribulation. That's what he's talking about here in these verses. And by the way, I would also point out to you, this requires you to do something. God gives us the grace to be able to strengthen our heart. But if you don't make the choice to do it, it's not coming. So here's the question I think you've got to ask. How do you strengthen your heart? Well, that could be another whole sermon, maybe even a whole series of sermons if I wanted to do that, I believe. But can I just tell you three things this morning I think that will help tremendously if you're going to strengthen your heart even in the midst of trial and trouble, being patient with God as you're walking through this thing called life. If you don't do these three things, in particular the first two, it's not going to make any difference. Your heart will never be strengthened. But here you go. Number one, put your eyes on Jesus and not the trial or the tribulation. Put your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus and not your trouble. If you focus on trouble, you're going to give in to despair. You're going to give in to that trial. You're going to be defeated. Your heart will not be strengthened if you focus on the trouble. But when you set your gaze on Jesus, let him be your focus instead of your difficulty. It changes the whole scene. We, we were in Israel a week ago. I had, a, I had a young preacher go with us. I had never met Zach Corbett before. Uh, I didn't tell Zach I was going to talk to him about him this morning, so I hope he doesn't listen to this video. Um, well he, I'm not, anyway, maybe he will. But I didn't, I didn't know him. I had never met him. He came at the invite of a friend of ours in South Georgia. He signed up to go. He'd never been to Israel. He wanted to go to Israel. So he latched on. Well, when I found out he was going, as I have done on previous trips, if I have other pastors that are going on a trip to the Holy Land, I will always give them an opportunity if they want to take it to do something ministry-wise while we're there. It's just special. And uh, sure enough, I asked Zach. He later helped. Uh, we had baptism in the, in the River Jordan. He helped me to baptize. I don't know how many we baptized? A whole boatload. Um, then we, he helped me do the Lord's Supper in the garden tomb area, which was very, very special. But I asked him if he would do, share a short message, a short devotional. And I happened to ask him if he would do that. 
out on the Sea of Galilee. We were taking a boat ride out on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, I said, Zach, would you do that? Well, he said, well, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I certainly will be glad to do that. I wanted to ask him if he would demonstrate what Peter did walking on the water, but I figured that would be a little too much. And uh, I said, would you do the devotion? Well, Zach did. And let me, let me just say, when he did it, and those of you who were on the trip, you, you could say amen to this if you want to. He knocked it out of the ballpark, buddy. Let me just tell you, he, he did an unbelievable job. Excellent message. What a perfect setting. Out on the, in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, he read some of these same verses that, I, that I'm about to read to you. But what a great example and what a great truth was set by the Lord Jesus when he took these disciples out in the Sea of Galilee, put them in a storm, and he had to teach them something. He had to teach them something. Matthew 14, 24, 28 to 32 says the following. Peter said to him, Jesus, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got up out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. And then listen at what happened. But seeing the wind, but seeing the wind, all of a sudden, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at his circumstances. Let me ask you something. Anybody in here ever seen the wind? Anybody ever seen it? You can't see the wind. You can see the effect of the wind, but you can't see the wind. So the enemy came and he began, Peter began to doubt. Nobody's supposed to be walking on water. And all of a sudden he realized, hey, I'm out here on the storm. Look at the waves. I feel the wind. He's looking at things that he should have never been looking at. He took his gaze off Jesus. And the moment he took his gaze off Jesus, what happened to him? Boy, he sunk straight down. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took hold of him, said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And then I loved this last verse. When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. Jesus went on to correct his disciples, the whole lot of them. He said, Why did you doubt, O ye of little faith? Hey, folks, let me tell you, how do you strengthen your heart? You better keep your eyes focused on Jesus. If you, if, you put your, if you put your focus on your circumstances, your situation, you're going to get in trouble. You keep your eyes focused on the Savior, even in the storms. He will strengthen you. Your heart will be strengthened. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Strengthen your heart. And you do that by setting your gaze on the Savior even when you find yourself in the midst of the storm. That's how you strengthen your heart. Secondly, not only do you strengthen your heart by keeping your gaze on the Savior, you strengthen your heart by getting into the Word of God. When you're going through difficulties, when you, you, you find yourself in situations of life that requires you to be patient, God's kind of patient. How do you do it? You get into His Word. God's Word brings hope to the heart 
even in the midst of trial that strengthens our heart as nothing else can. I, I, could, I could stand here for an hour reading you verse after verse after verse after verse. It speaks of that Psalm 119, verses 67 to 72. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. Uh, the psalmist says, it is good or it was good for me that I was afflicted. And the psalmist goes on to say that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand pieces of gold and silver. When you find yourself in a situation that requires your heart to be strengthened, you have to set your focus on Jesus. And then you're going to have to get into his word and let him speak to you out of his word. Thirdly, you have to remember the coming of the Lord. In fact, Peter reminds us of that and, and read some verses a moment ago about that. James reminds us of that here in our text. In fact, a couple of times in our verses before that, as he tells us to be patient, strengthen our heart, he says, you too be patient, strengthen your heart for the coming of the Lord is near. In other words, what he's saying to us is this, you can strengthen your heart knowing that whatever circumstance you find yourself in, one of these days, Jesus is going to come and he's going to take every one of us out of it. He's coming. We don't know when. We don't know exactly where all the circumstances will come together to bring about his coming. But he is coming. We are to be ready. You be patient. Strengthen your heart. The coming of the Lord is at hand. There is soon coming a time when the Lord will return and will not have these burdens to bear anymore. Uh, one of my favorite hymns is that old great hymn, How Great Thou Art. I imagine I'm not alone in saying that. All the verses of that great hymn are, are tremendous, but I'm not so sure I don't like and love and appreciate that last verse more than any of them. This is what it says. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. There I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Jesus could come at any moment to take us away. That's how you strengthen your heart. Be patient. Strengthen your heart. Last two commands. I'll do this one in just a couple of minutes this morning. These are the two negative commands. And though they're given to us in the negative, they are both positive commands when obeyed. Command number three. Verse 9, do not complain. Oh boy. <laughs> this is when we find James is writing to Baptist. Do not complain. Let's read the whole verse. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. I'm not going to really deal with the last part of that verse, but let me just add here, folks. Notice that when you complain about people, you're judging people. And when you're judging people, James reminds us you're going to be judged by the judge one day because of your judgment of others. You better be careful when you start complaining about people. When you judge them in such a way that you start complaining about them, because you're going to have to give an answer to God for how you complain about them. Have you noticed how easy it is to complain about them and not deal with you? Hey, I tell you what, when you get perfect, you can start complaining. But until then, zip it. 
hush. Work on you. Deal with what you've got to deal with. It changed the whole relationship of life and living if you did. Do not complain. Oh, how we need to feel this, fulfill this command given to us here. A kiss maker said once, groaning and grumbling, that is complaining, is the opposite of being joyful and thankful. Although at times the believer may find themselves in difficult living conditions, the fact remains that when he begins to grumble and complain, he falls into sin. His sins because he sins because he accuses God, perhaps indirectly, for the misfortunes he receives. Did you know that grumbling and complaining actually shows a lack of trust in God? When you complain about your circumstances and you gripe and complain about all that's going on in your life, what you're saying to God is, God, you don't know what you're doing. If you did, you wouldn't have me in this circumstance. It really shows a lack of trust in God. God, I don't trust you. You don't know what you're doing. So this command by James to all of us who want to mature in our faith is do not complain. And notice he even gets more specific here. Do not complain against one another. Have you ever noticed what a complaining, grumbling person can do in a church? If you haven't noticed, you, you probably ought to take a look. It could destroy a church, folks. I've seen it too many times over these years. A negative complaining spirit can throw a wet blanket over everything that happens in a church. I, I remember a fellow pastor once saying he was talking to me, just kind of sharing his heart. He had a lady in his church that was a constant complainer and she criticized everything. She had a critical spirit and he said the following about her. He said, when she walks into the church, she just brings a negative spirit with her. Well, I've seen it. It happens. A negative, complaining, griping, bellyaching person. Um, there was a man in one of the churches, I started to name it in the first service, and I caught myself. I don't want to say that. You might know him. You might be related to him. I don't know. Um, he's, anyway, I won't go there. But um, he, he was, this one gentleman, if he ever opened his mouth in church, it was to complain about something. I mean, all the time. <coughs> complain, complain, negative, 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 negative. It, it got to the point, I hate to say it, when I'd see him coming, I wanted to go the other way. Because he was going to complain about something. I, I noticed about this man, nobody wanted to sit with him. People avoided him. Nobody wanted him on a committee. If he was on the committee, I had people quit or refuse to go on that committee because of that man on the committee. His wife, Lee, sang in the choir, so he did not have to sit. Or she, didn't, he did, she, she didn't have to sit by him in church. Where are you at? There you are. <laughs> Thought he'd been raptured back there or something. I didn't know where you went. A negative, complaining person. And, and James comes by way of these commands and says, don't complain. Don't be a bellyacher. Don't gripe. Don't grumble. It destroys a fellowship. I remember Dr. Ed Johnson, who was for many, many years the pastor 
of the great church, First Baptist Church of Ocala, Florida, large church in central Florida. I, a, a guy that was on my staff had gone to be his children's minister. I kept up with that church over many years. As most churches do at times, you have, you have those complainers in your church. And he obviously had had it with some in his church, and he was having to deal with it one time. And he was admonishing his people in his newsletter not to be critical and to say, uh, to be more positive in what they had to say in the church and about the church. And I never forget it. He made a comment, and I just, when I saw it, I went, amen, brother. He, he added these words to his article when he wrote, and by the way, if you can't say a good word about your church, what are you doing in this church anyway? You think that's going to help your church? If all you're going to do is gripe and complain about it, find something, fault, something. Hey, the only way to correct things is for you to get busy and do your part to correct it. Quit complaining. Do not complain. Vance Abner wrote once, seen on a church bulletin board, it takes no musical ability to always be harping on something. Dr. David Ring, evangelist, Southern Baptist evangelist, amazing man, has had cerebral palsy all his life, 60 plus years, but he didn't allow his handicap to slow him down. He preaches a message entitled, The 11th Commandment, and he'll tell you the 11th Commandment from God says this one, Thou shalt not bellyache. Don't complain. Hey, folks, it does you no good, it does others no good, and it tears down the body of Christ. If you've got a problem, go deal with it. If you've got an issue with a person, go deal with them face to face. Quit your griping, quit your complaining. Stop it, is what James is saying. Here's the last command I'll close with this. Do not swear. Do not swear. Verse 12. Above all, my brethren. Now, if he writes above all, that obviously they had a serious problem with this in the fellowship. Don't swear. Isn't it amazing how many times James deals with sins going on in the church and those things that keep us from maturing, and it has to do with the mouth in some form or fashion. What, how do you bellyache? How do you complain? What part of your body do you use to do that? Your tongue? Don't do it. How do you swear? The tongue. Hey, folks, the way you talk and how you talk and how you speak says more about your spiritual condition than anything else you can do. And if your words are always complaining, critical words, crude words, cursing words, swearing words, then you've got a serious problem in your heart. You won't do that if you're growing in grace. You won't do that if you're growing and maturing in Jesus. You can't do that. If you do do it, the Holy Spirit will get over you so much, you've you got to deal with it. Do not swear, my brethren, by either heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no, no, so that you might not fall under judgment. James is remembering a sermon that he heard Jesus preaching out on that Mount of the Beatitudes. You find it in Matthew 5, verses 33 to 37, when the Lord Jesus taught his disciples, do not swear, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Do not speak more than that. 
And the point that Jesus was making and the point that, that James is making here is this. We should not swear by any form for any reason. Swearing is an affront against God and it brings judgment upon the user. And the primary reason for it is simply this. It really has to do as a matter of integrity. You ought to be living your life in such a way in Jesus that when you speak yes, your yes means yes. And when you say no, your no means no, that you can be a person that can be trusted. You are a man or a woman of integrity that when you speak, what you say is true and people know it's true. It applies to even the way that we're living, that my life really, I don't have to say a whole lot about who I am as a Christian. My life demonstrates it to a world that can tell the difference. How much damage has been done to the body of Christ by those who claim to be Christians, who claim one thing by their presence in church on Sunday morning, but they walk out those back doors and they live like the devil, and they talk like the devil, and they go to the same places the devil goes to, and they wonder why no, nobody wants what they've got. It's not life-changing. You walk with Jesus, it's going to change the way you live. You walk with Jesus, it's going to change the way you think. You walk with Jesus, it's going to change the way you talk. Be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. Let your talk, your walk match your talk. Live out day by day what you say you believe. And as Peter Lord once put it, we live out every day what we believe. All the rest is just religious talk. Do not swear. Practical commands for godly living. Be patient with others, with yourself, but most importantly with God. Strengthen your heart in the midst of trusting God. Keep your eyes focused on the Savior. Get into his word. Put your hope in the fact that Jesus could come at any moment and take you out of what trouble you find yourself in. Do not complain. Do not complain against one another. And do not swear. Let your words be such that it's backed up by the life you live. Lord, thank you for these powerful words this morning. Thank you for the challenge that is at hand for all of us who know you. Lord, help us to be men and women of integrity, men and women of God who have grown in our faith to the point that our words indicate our life and our lives confirm our words. Lord, help us in these matters. All these things we've talked about this morning, we can't do in our flesh. Oh, Lord, it's only as we trust your Holy Spirit you fill us full that we're able to be able to walk faithfully in these areas. Now, Lord, for that person that's here today who's never been saved, that person who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray even now that your Holy Spirit will so speak to their heart that they cannot find rest until they find the Savior. Lord, I, I pray that even now that your, your draw in their heart and their life is so strong that they know they have to get right with you. Lord, they see their own sin and they see their need for Jesus. Oh, God, may, may they come today. May you, may you draw them in such a way that they have to come to you. 
And if that's true of you this morning, as we stand in a moment, we're about to just give an invitation. It's one way that you can give an expression of what God's doing in your heart, in your life. It's one way you can come and find out how you can get your heart right with the Lord Jesus today. And as we stand, Lee comes to lead us in our singing. I'll be down front. Would you step out from where you'll be standing? Make your way down front and just say to me, Pastor Ken, I need to get my heart right with Jesus. I need to get saved today. And we'll have one of our staff members share with you how you can find Christ today, find the forgiveness of sin and trust Jesus to work in you to change you forevermore. Would you come? And then Christian, if you claim to be a believer today, boy, take these things to heart. Let God deal with you thoroughly in these areas. Walk in obedience to what the Holy Spirit says. Deal with these issues so that we can walk faithfully and mature in our walk with him. Lord, this is our prayer. And this is our desire, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, respond as God has spoken to your heart.